The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So last week I kind of introduced the topic of the some beautiful qualities of mind that are cultivated on our path. They're both cultivated and, uh, you know, that we practice them. So they, they both result from our practice and we actively cultivate them as we practice. And this particular list that I'm exploring right now is called the paramis. And that, that uh, term in Pali is translated often as perfection. And so this is... This list is understood to be the list of qualities that the Buddha perfected over the years, many, many lifetimes of, um, as he was purifying his mind to wake up. And so there are qualities of an awakened mind. The, a mind that is awakened will have these qualities. And they are qualities that we can actively cultivate as well. So these qualities are generosity, ethics, renunciation, wisdom, energy, patience, truthfulness, resolve, love, loving-kindness, and equanimity. And tonight I'd like to, uh, and for the next few weeks, I thought I'd just pay, pick one or two a night and, uh, and, and go into them in a little more depth. Last, last week I kind of overviewed them. So tonight I'd like to talk about the first two, generosity and ethics. And to me, these first two go together quite well because they really are about the... Um, the orientation of relationship, both generosity and ethics, uh, are qualities of mind that help us interact with the world. The generosity of uh, both of um, uh, offering things, but also, I think, even more importantly, offering our time, our service, our care, our love to other beings. So the, the, these first two qualities really put us, put the practice in the context of our relationships with our fellow beings on this planet. And I think that the, the, um, this really supports a, a way of being in the practice that keeps it from being so self-centered. You know, sometimes when we sit and meditate, it can feel like we're just like, you know, looking inwards. But this puts it into the context of relationship, where we are cultivating, cultivating connection, caring, support, and uh, an interest in non-harming with our, with our fellow human beings. And so the, um, I find it interesting to look at how these externally related qualities have both an inner and outer impact. So as we look into our minds, which is what we do often in meditation, we turn, that's our, that's our exploration, right? We turn and look at what's happening inside. And this practice of these qualities that connect us with the world help us to see how do these inner and outer worlds meet? What is the connection between these two? I think most of us have a sense or an understanding that the inner workings of our mind impact how we act. Right? When we're frustrated or angry, it can impact how we behave in the world. So we, we have a sense that, that our minds do influence our actions. And yet, there's also another direction to that interaction. The way we behave in the world can also influence our minds. Sometimes we don't, we don't necessarily trust that direction of the interaction. 
And sometimes I think, I don't know, especially in, in, uh, in California, it's like we have this like really wanting to be true to our experience, be true to ourselves or something. Like if we're angry, we need to show it or, you know, I don't know, something along those lines. And to behave in a way that's not what's being experienced inside, we, we think that's not such a good idea or something. So, but what this, what this um, teaching about how the inner and outer worlds connect points to the, um, the fact that the way we behave in the world can actually rebound on our minds. So the, this is um, this is a the point of contact with this inner and outer worlds is the quality of intention in the mind. The uh, the the quality of the mind choosing, and so when we, for instance, choose to act in a way that um, like runs if we choose to for instance act peacefully even if we're not feeling peaceful if we choose to act peacefully that those actions can rebound on our minds and create more peacefulness in our minds but the way that that works is not by denying or repressing what's going on in our minds like, for instance, if impatience is happening in our minds and we want to um, cultivate patience, one way to explore that might be to act patiently in the world, to behave patiently, and yet at the same time not denying or repressing the mind of impatience, but instead having the intention in the mind, having the idea or the intention to cultivate patience while acting patiently. This actually is more powerful than you might think. It, um, it's, it's kind of a delicate dance to um, not repress or deny what's going on inwardly. So this is where I think, you know, our typical, um, you know, don't repress what we're feeling. There's some truth there. You know, it's not a helpful thing to repress the inner, uh, what's going on inside, to try to stop that. It is helpful to open to it, to be aware of it. And yet, one way I think of this practice of the... Um, the external impacting the internal, is to not let that internal state of impatience or anger or fear, you know, kind of leak out into the body and allow the, the, that intention to be aware of that inner state and cultivate its opposite quality. So cultivating patience. We're feeling impatience, but cultivating patience by behaving patiently. I've seen this shift the mind. It's actually quite powerful to explore what it means to model what we'd like to cultivate. Does this make sense? Does this make sense? So it, it's, it can be hard, yes, and yet, it, and yet it can be simple in some ways, too. So, for instance, um, I've used this example before, but it was like the first time it was like so clear to me how this worked, and it was, it's just like seared into my mind, so it becomes the example I use. Um, I was feeling impatience, and I was um, in a grocery store. I was in a drugstore. And I noticed the impatience because I was seeing myself throwing things into my grocery ba- into my basket. So, you know, the, the impatient, I saw the impatience of the mind and I saw how it impacted the behavior of my body. And so what I chose to do in seeing that was just really know, yep, there's impatience here, but I smoothed out my actions. I stopped throwing things into the basket. Instead, I picked them up and I placed them into the basket. And within a minute the impatience in the mind had shifted. And it was 
much more easeful. So there is this possibility, in small ways, I mean, in small ways, and and sometimes this exploration in small ways can be the most powerful, you know, to find the, the ways in which our habitual patterns, inner patterns, leak out into our behavior. It's like becoming an actor. We, we, we model what we'd like to be, but we don't repress the inner feelings. And so with this kind of... Um, this is a kind of a practice for cultivating some of these beautiful qualities, these paramis. And for these first two of uh, generosity and ethics, really there are practices of engaging in the outer actions in order to cultivate the inner qualities. That's the way these practices work around generosity and ethics. We engage in the practice of giving, which is an external action, which has a rebound effect on the mind. If we explore it, explore giving with the intention of not necessarily artificially trying to feel generous, but knowing what's happening inside and practicing generosity, to, practicing giving to cultivate this inner quality of generosity. So this is, this is a practice. Giving is a practice that has a rebound effect on the mind that can cultivate this inner quality. The inner quality of generosity is described as, uh, what is the treasure of generosity? There is a case of one whose awareness is cleansed of the stain of stinginess, living at home, freely generous, open-handed, delighting in being magnanimous, responsive to requests, delighting in the distributions of, distribution of alms. So this is a quality of mind in which there is delight in the offering. Now, in generosity, you know, often when we think of generosity, we think about giving things. But there's so many, so many different ways to be generous. I made a list, actually, of different kinds of offerings. There's, of course, financial and material goods that are offered. But also our time, our service, offering our presence to somebody you know, just offering our time and service in volunteering is one thing. But, but being, being willing to be present for somebody when they're suffering, that's an offering. Our ethical conduct is an offering. Kindness is an offering. So there's many ways that we can um, explore what it means to be generous, not just through the idea of material things, but through... Our, our very being can be a gift of generosity. So given that um, the act of generosity, it's not just the giving. You know, it's, again, there's this inner quality of intention that is the place where the actions rebound on the mind where when we act in a certain way, the inner, the inner quality of how we do something is what supports the cultivation of the inner quality. And so the exploration of how we give, if we are going to offer something, the manner in which we give, is an important exploration. The, um, the suttas actually explore... Have, have a couple of places where they list a lot of different ways, we, ways and reasons, motivations for which we might give something. And I'm just going to list these. They say we might give out of affection, out of anger, out of stupidity, out of fear, because of tradition, because someone else has given us a gift, because we hope for a gift in return. Any of these sound familiar? (laughs) He's pretty complete here. We give sometimes to gain a good reputation. We give because it's considered a good thing to do. We give because we want to help others out of altruism. We give because it gladdens the heart. It actually feels good to give. That's that's something that's um, delightful to come upon at times uh, when when we really begin to connect to that that it actually feels good to give. There's, there's um, 
a teaching where it's said that it feels good to give before while you're contemplating giving. It feels good to give while you're giving. And it gives good, feels good after you've given to reflect back on having given. And so there's that delight. There can be that delight in giving. And also, we, uh, one of the reasons that we give is because it supports our freedom. It supports letting go of greed, of aversion, of confusion. It helps, it helps to weaken those tendencies in the mind. So being aware of our motivations for giving helps the act of giving to be one that can cultivate this inner quality of generosity, whatever it is that we're offering. And I want to acknowledge there will be mixed motivations. You know, we will, we will have an altruistic reason to give and want to get something in return. You know, there may be a sense of giving because it's traditional to give something on a birthday, but also an understanding of the delight in giving. So that, that there's going to be some mixed motivations. Um, it's really helpful to acknowledge mixed motivations. We're not, again, we're not trying to um, repress the inner feelings that are here but we are exploring what it might be to land in or connect with some of the more um, beautiful reasons to give. I mean, just reminding ourselves that it, it, that it is delightful to give. Just reminding ourselves of that. I mean, I remember um, when I was a kid just really enjoying thinking about the things that I was going to be giving people for various time. I mean, it's just, it was fun to think about it. Now, some of it was thinking about, like, some of the enjoyment of that was a little bit, um, you know, wanting them to like me back, right? You know, so that was a little bit, there's a little bit of uh, expectation on the giving. And this is, this is how, how our motivations get purified, that, that we see our motivations, we see that there is that wanting something in return. A, 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 a generous, a true act of generosity is just expressed without, necessar- without needing something back. And so when we see the, the clenches or the wishes or the you know, the wanting something in return or perhaps a little bit of fear in the act. It's not that we're trying to repress that or stop that, but we are trying to acknowledge it, to know it, to be aware of it. That very awareness and yet still making the action. Again, it's like my... my um, running counter to the impatience by acting patiently. And it shifted the, the mind. So this is a way that we can cultivate this inner quality of generosity through this practice of giving. It's important also to um, take care with how we give. This is um, another Another teaching in the text talks about giving with integrity. And this, this has some very interesting um, explorations to it. At first it talks about giving respectfully. That we should offer, make offerings in a way that do not belittle the other person. or hurt the other person that it's offered to. And so that's, that's, an, that's a way of, again, it, it creates a container of respect. It, it, it joins us in community. It's interesting that in our culture, often the way we give is anonymously. And the Buddha actually encouraged us to give more directly, you know, more hand-to-hand, because it establishes a connection between people, and that it 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 more um, brings that relationship into uh, 
into, into life. It's, it, it, it makes the relationship more alive. And so how we give, let it not belittle or hurt another person. You know, this, this, um, you know, I'm just thinking of, of, um, like people sometimes are on the street, right? You know, people are on the street asking for money or something. And sometimes I'll offer something to them. And, um, it used to be that I was kind of embarrassed when I did that. Like I didn't want to look them in the eye or, you know, I just kind of want, like, you know. And, and that's, in a, that's in a way that's not honoring that connection. And so, you know, now at this point I'll, I'll say something, I'll, I'll look them in the eye, I'll smile. And that creates a whole different feeling. You know, the first way is like giving feeling almost like a feeling of obligation and like, I wish you weren't here or I don't know, something along those lines. You know, it it has a kind of yucky feeling inside. And the second is much more of a sense of person to person, you know, honoring, honoring, honoring each other. So that manner of giving, that honoring, giving respectfully, being respectful, The other piece that I find very interesting in this teaching, it says to give without adversely affecting yourself. To really be careful that when you are giving, that it's not hurting yourself in any way. This is an important piece for us to consider too. You know That we have to look honestly at our priorities, at what we can offer, what we can do, um, you know, that especially with time, you know, there's often a sense of um, it's 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 a del- it's a dance, you know, of how we how we explore, you know, what is what is giving too much? When am I overreaching either my my financial or material or my how much time I have to offer? It's helpful, I think, for giving to feel a little bit like a stretch. And yet, be wise about it. You know, look at, look at your, um, your own needs as well. This is, this is a practice where the Buddha looks at, and this, is, this happens over and over in our, in our uh, exploration of both ethics and, um, um, and generosity, the Buddha encourages us to behave in a way that does not hurt ourselves or another or both. To look at the whole package. So again, it's, it's really relational. In terms of um, cultivating this quality of generosity, another helpful thing is to recognize that so many of our encounters with people have give and take in them. Inherently have give and take in them. I'm going to read a little thing from the sutta um, that that basically explores or expresses framing our interactions through this quality of generosity. So what this is doing is it's encouraging us to recognize that we are practicing generosity many times of the day, but we're not really acknowledging it as such. So recognize and appreciate when you are giving. So this quote, even if one throws away the rinsings of a pot or cup into the village pool or pond, wishing that the living beings there may live on them, even this would be a source of merit, not to speak of gifts to human beings. So here he's talking about, you know, rinsing out, you know, your, your, your food bowl and emptying the water on the ground. You know, you can do that without thinking. It's just like, yeah, you're rinsing out the water and you're throwing the, the rinse water away. But he says, even thinking about the fact that that could be an offering to the beings that are living there because it's food. You know, that there are little ants and little snails and things that may come along and and be able to eat that food. That it's a gift in a way. 
And he, he said, that's helpful. It's helpful to think of it that way. That that's, if you reflect, wishing that living beings there would live on those scraps, that that would be an offering and, and cultivate this inner quality of generosity. And so, you know, one friend of mine at one point, we were having dinner out and... Um, and my friend said to me, he, he's a fellow Dharma teacher, he said, do you ever reflect on the fact that our going out to dinner is offering these people livelihood? I said, I hadn't reflected on that. <laughs> and and it, it created a little bit of a sense of delight. You know, it's like, yes, actually, this, you know, the way that our society is set up takes us away from this, like, natural give and take between human beings. But it's there. It's there. You know, it's like our, our going to restaurants, our going to stores and being engaged in, in purchasing things there indirectly supports them being able to work there. It's very indirect, but it, there is a sense, it's just like this, it's throwing away the rinsings of a pot. And so sometimes we can reflect on um, our how we are engaging in acts of generosity all through our day. You know, the tip, the tip, for instance, of course, that's that's generosity because that's um, extra. But just the act of being there and being in a place where there are beings who have livelihood. So that this, this kind of exchange, we can think about it and it serves our inner cultivation of generosity. Then there's other, other explorations. You know, like um, this week um, uh, I'm working with a small group and we're exploring practicing in daily life. And one thing that's coming up with one of the people in the group is merging on the freeway. And, you know, she's, she's exploring kind of being more spacious about that. That could be an act of, you know, that could be framed as generosity as well. You know, just, you know, allowing people to have their space. You know, having somebody in front of you in line is having a conversation with the, with the cashier that's a little more in-depth than usual. <laughs> Can you, can you allow that? You know, can you think of, think of your patience as a gift to them? Actually, in the group this week, somebody said that, that um, she had noticed that, that they were having a conversation, and she, was, she, she, said to her, she consciously said to herself, you know, I actually don't have to be anywhere, so I can just practice patience here. I'm just going to practice patience. And she said, she got immediate feedback, because when she got up to the cashier, the cashier said... Thank you for being so patient about about you know my conversation. I haven't seen that person in so long, so thank you. So it's like you know what a, what a surprise to actually have that response. You know we can when we engage in this way, we can actually see how it lands, see how it impacts others in our environment. Offering our time is another beautiful way to... Just our presence. If somebody is suffering, this is one of the greatest gifts we can give. Not... I mean, one of the... We, we often in that place... This is where, you know, our generosity of time bumps up against our discomfort with suffering. You know, we often find ourselves in place with working, being with, sitting with a friend who's struggling, and we find ourselves go into advice mode. You know, how can I tell you what to do? Basically motivated because we're uncomfortable with being in the presence of suffering. And so our ability, our deepening ability to be able to be in the presence of suffering without flinching and without trying to fix or change, it's remarkably, it's a beautiful gift. It's a beautiful gift to be able to offer that. Just our presence 
it's quite I, I've experienced it a lot that you know in this role in particular you know just being willing to sit with somebody who's suffering there's a feeling of the connection a feeling of the caring that is transmitted in that when there isn't the discomfort inside and so that is like that is one of the most beautiful gifts we can offer other people and that begins that's cultivated by our own ability to be with our own discomfort and so again the inner work lands in the world you know as we be, be part of the way that i've begun to be more able to be with people's suffering is because i can be with my own suffering without being uncomfortable about it and then i mentioned earlier ethical conduct being one of the gifts that we offer and this leads into the second of these um paramis the gift of the gift of ethical conduct. This supports both others and ourselves too. It is both inner and outer. There's one famous sutta where the Buddha talks about protecting others, we protect ourselves. He uses this analogy of acrobats. Did I talk about this last time? Did I talk about the acrobats last time? No. Um, the, the acrobat sutta, the, there's a young acrobat, a junior acrobat, an apprentice acrobat, and a master acrobat. And the, um, the, the master acrobat is giving the junior acrobat instructions about how to practice and how to be together. They, they climb up on this bamboo pole. You know, I think of it as kind of a, a tightrope kind of thing. And, and um, you know, maybe one of them is holding one end of the pole or something. And the, uh, the master acrobat said... You watch out for me, and I watch out for you, and that way we'll come down safely. And the, the, uh, the junior acrobat said, well, I think if I watch out for myself and you watch out for yourself, we'll come down safely. And the Buddha said, it's both. We need both. We need both to... to, to and, and the, the ending of that sutta, he says, protecting others, one protects oneself. Protecting oneself, one protects others. And the, the, our ethical conduct, our non-harming, our, our exploration of non-harming in the world protects others because we are exploring what it means to be in the world with a non-harming motivation. And it protects ourselves because it protects us from the, both the, the rebound of anger and hostility when we've harmed others, and it protects us from our own inner uh, remorse and regret when we've harmed others. So this again points to this inner and outer conduct, the inner and outer, um, the ways in which our outer actions can impact our inner life. So I talked, I, I, I talked about the precepts last week, and so I'm not going to explore this as much from the perspective of the precepts this week, but more from this perspective of non-harming. The... Um, the ethics in our... in the Buddhist practice is really... The interest is exploring non-harming. And and this makes complete sense in so many ways because um, the whole kind of underpinnings of what the Buddha was exploring was how we could be free from suffering. How can we be free from suffering in our own hearts and minds? And one of the first things um, in his instructions is that, you know, in order to have freedom from suffering inwardly, we have to be cognizant of if we're creating suffering in the world. We have to be aware of how we're impacting others. And to his own seven-year-old son, he gave a teaching around this. He said, reflect before you act reflect whether it's going to create harm, create 
Affliction was the word he used. It's actually even broader than um, the precepts in this teaching. Um, Is it going to create affliction for self or other or both to do that action? He said, "If if you realize it will, then don't do that action. And he goes on, he says, he says, if you don't see that it will create affliction, by all means, go ahead and do the action. But don't stop there. While you're doing the action, check it out. Is it causing harm? Is it causing affliction? Is it causing suffering for self or other or both? If it is, stop. If it's not, continue. And don't stop the reflection there. After you have acted, reflect back. Did it cause harm? Did it create affliction for self or other or both? If it did, undertake restraint for that action in the future. So this is, and and he actually explores this not just in terms of actions in the world, but speech and our mind. Movements of mind, thoughts, um, emotions. So this is, a teaching that a seven-year-old can understand. But when I read that, and then I found out this was a teaching to a seven-year-old, I thought, wow, this is, this is a high bar. You know, reflect before, during, and after your actions. Every action of body, speech, and mind. That's, a <laughs> that's, that's hard. That's, <laughs> that's pretty hard. But it, it points to that the... You know, the container that we're trying to create is one of safety, is one of open-heartedness and friendliness rather than contention. And that that is the container in which our practice can flourish. And so cultivating non-harming, cultivating Actions, and and I well I will bring, I will mention the precepts again because this is this is kind of we can actually reflect. It's really helpful to reflect on. I mean, I mean the precepts are like refraining from killing, refraining from taking what's not given, refraining from sexual misconduct, refraining from false speech refraining from intoxicants. And, you know, some of these are easier than others to work with, and they all have levels of subtlety. But we can appreciate, you know, in particular, I think I did mention this last week, that, you know, we can appreciate we're not, you know, most of us in this culture have, or in this, you know, in our um, here, are not killing other human beings. And that is something, you know, we think we we take for granted. But, you know, there are other situations we might be in where it might not be so easy. You know, situations of, you know, growing up in in other conditions or uh, being in a war zone. You know, know, we're fortunate here. And we are engaged in non-harming in that way. You know, if I think I said this last week, if everybody on the planet were to agree to follow this one precept against, you know, not killing other human beings, it would be a hugely different world. And so, you know, reflecting on the beauty of that in yourself, that that is a gift to other human beings. You know, we, it's like it, it, it takes some reflection for us to appreciate that about ourselves. So the, um, you know, the precepts have, um, I, I've been talking about how our actions can rebound on our inner life, on our minds. Each of the five precepts has a beautiful inner quality that it's associated with. And so refraining from killing is said to be paired with the inner quality of compassion. And again, you know, this may not seem 
very clear or very obvious. Um, I had I had a I had one again. This is a story I tell a lot, but it it was such a clear demonstration of this connection for me. Um, I was practicing with not killing the ants in my kitchen, and I had an elaborate ritual I went through when I found ants in my kitchen. I won't describe that tonight because it. <laughs> it takes a bit of time. Um, and and so I was practicing with that not killing and, you know, was exploring ways to take care of the ants, put them outside, that kind of thing. Um, and at one point in this process of, of how I was taking care of the ants, I kind of like made contact with one ant. I saw this one ant and it was behaving in an unusual way that made me i i anthropomorphized the what the what was going on i mean it it was doing something i'd never seen an ant do it was standing on its back on two ba- two back legs i'd never seen an ant do that stand on its back legs and then it was like scanning <laughs> the environment like this and my my like uh, interpretation of that was like this ant is distressed <laughs> i mean it's like i was doing things to try to get the you know the ants outside and to put them in a place where they could go back in their down their their hole and it's like these ants knew something unusual was happening i you know i figured this was you know and when i made contact with that ant and saw the distress, or what I perceived of as distress, because I have no idea what was going on there. So it was perception, it was clear, it was an idea. But that connection resulted in compassion for the ants. That was kind of surprising. (laughs) You know, it's like that practice, and, and I'd been practicing with not killing the ants for probably, you know, some weeks at that point. And so there had become this relationship, you know? It was like this relationship. And that relationship, when that met the recognition of these beings suffer too, there was compassion. So refraining from killing supports the inner work, the inner quality of compassion. Refraining from stealing cultivates contentment. The inner quality of being, having a sense of sufficiency with what we have. The um, cultivation of refraining from harming through sexuality creates, generates and supports kindness. Refraining from falsehoods cultivates the quality, inner qualities of honesty and truthfulness. And refraining from intoxicating our minds cultivates inner, inner clarity, clarity of mind. So again, our actions in the world not only support others, support the, uh, you know, uh, give that gift of fearlessness, give that gift of safety to other beings by our acting in ethical ways, it rebounds, it can rebound on our minds by cultivating these beautiful inner qualities. I think of um, uh, generosity, the inner qualities of generosity. Well, these are some of them. Uh, Compassion, contentment, I mean, uh, the inner qualities of ethics. Uh, Compassion, contentment, kindness, honesty. But, you know, we could think of also, the inner qualities of ethics being goodness, honor, honorability, integrity. These are beautiful qualities to reflect on. Let's see if I want to say more, open it up for questions. Ah, here's one piece I want to say, then I'll take some questions if there's time. Um, as we cultivate these... these um, qualities, generosity of ethics. Not only those are being cultivated. 
I, I named that list of the, um, the paramis at the beginning. I'll, I'll mention them again. Generosity, ethics, renunciation, wisdom, energy, patience, truthfulness, resolve, loving kindness, and equanimity. And if we just think about what happens as we cultivate ethical conduct, we are recognizing what creates harm in the world. You know, we are, we are exploring that and recognizing, we're, 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 we're doing some of the work of recognizing what leads to suffering and what leads away from suffering. This is one of the simplest definitions of what wisdom is in this practice, is the recognition of what are skillful things that lead away from suffering, what leads us towards suffering. So acting ethically begins to cultivate this quality of wisdom. We also cultivate mindfulness. We cultivate the, the energy directed towards the practice with this because we have to be mindful to recognize. I mean, sometimes I think of the precepts as being mindfulness bells. It's like we see ourselves headed in the direction of you know, picking up a shoe and whacking a spider on the wall. It's like, what's going on in the mind here? Is there aversion towards that spider? Can I take a cup and, you know, put it outside instead of going for the shoe? You know, can I, um, you know, be mindful of when the mind is headed in that direction? So it's cultivating mindfulness and energy towards the practice. It's cultivating patience to practice with, with um, both generosity and with ethics because it's not going to be perfect. <laughs> I mean, we really do have to be very... Com- and this is another thing. It cultivates compassion for ourselves, for others, because it's hard. This is not easy. We, we, um, we make mistakes, so we... Um, have to learn how to not beat ourselves up over it, but learn from our mistakes. That's a, that's a very fine line, you know, to not, um, not be using our reflection on, yeah, that wasn't so helpful, to be a kind of like, well, I'll try, I'll try harder. I, I'll try to not do that. I'll make amends for that, and I'm going to try not to engage that way again, as opposed to telling ourselves, I'm such a horrible person. You know, that's not, that's not what this, this teaching in, it, uh, suggests. It really suggests compassion for ourselves for how hard it is, and compassion for ourselves that the conditions of our life have led us in that direction, and compassion for others when they break these precepts as well. So, actually reflected, I, I don't actually have time to go through it all, but I reflected on how the cultivation of generosity, the cultivation of ethics, seems to have threads to all of these other qualities of the paramis. And so as we cultivate generosity, we're actually cultivating Wisdom and energy and patience and truthfulness and, and love and equanimity. And so these, these qualities don't act in isolation. And they really um, create a, any, a, any one of these practices. I haven't, I haven't done this exercise with all of them. Like I haven't taken every single one and thought, okay, if I'm practicing patience, how might that be generous? How might that be ethic? You know, I haven't done that exploration yet. But I think, I think that if you pick any one of these qualities, any one of these paramis that we'll be talking about over the coming weeks, if any one of them interests you and you're interested in exploring it, I think you'll find that some of the others start coming along for the ride. So, there's two minutes left. <laughs> Are there any comments or questions, even just a, you know, a reflection or anything anybody wants to offer?
generally do believe that, um, maybe sometimes a little bit conceitedly, but the way that I act can, you know, kind of influence the world and the, and, and the way things are around me. Um, so, uh, not not perfectly, and I fail sometimes, but oftentimes I, I do feel like I try to, especially with kindness, that very uh, kind to people. Um, but I I do find sometimes, and I think it's especially with the people that don't really resonate with me, that sometimes I feel like I kind of over amplify the kindness and it starts to feel a little bit inauthentic uh-huh. to me. Uh-huh. Um, and I don't know, I kind of have looked at it a little bit and I kind of feel like um, maybe I am over amplifying it, but then again, maybe, I think sometimes maybe a little bit of is, is uh, kind of what you mentioned earlier of not kind of looking inward and recognizing that I do have this aversion to this person and that's okay to have. Yes. So I don't, I can't. can't. That's, that's the place to explore there. You know, it's like maybe it does feel over amplified or it's more conscious there, but go ahead and recognize, yeah, I don't like this person, you know, not to try to create some artificial feeling of kindness inside. That may be where the over amplifying feels like it's happening. So, yeah, that's, that's, and that's the kind of real, like, fine line of that practice, to not, to not deny what's actually happening. It's like, yeah, this person doesn't resonate with me, but can I behave kindly anyway, even knowing that? And, and, and for me, that exploration is, and what happens to that inner feeling as I do that? You know, so does, yeah, I mean, does it, does it amplify the dislike or does it actually shift a little bit more towards, well, you know, this is okay. <laughs> so, yeah, explore, explore whether it's something happening inside that makes it feel artificial. Yeah. Thank you for the question. Thank you. So next time, let's see, next week, I think I'm away the following week. We'll talk about renunciation, which is often not a popular uh, topic, but I'm hoping to um, (laughs) make it interesting at least. (laughs) So thank you for your attention.